Today we're going to look at a text from the book of Acts. Uh, Kathy and I attend the Orchard Church in Carbondale. We live between, right smack dab, kind of between Glenwood and Carbondale. And so um, we believe that God's led us to uh, the Orchard, and they're doing a study of the book of Acts. And I thought, well, since I've been doing some quiet time and some studying the book of Acts, I'll just do something on the book of Acts this morning. So we're going to look at the 11th chapter. We're going to look at a number of different verses before we get to the 11th chapter and kind of uh, intertwine them and intermingle them to kind of see where we go. So that's where we're headed. But before we start with uh, God's word, let's, uh, let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for a beautiful day, and we give you thanks for the body of Christ and the privilege that you call us to be a part of it. We have set this time aside to come and to worship you, to give praise and glory to your name. And now we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, our very being, to the message that you have for us in this, your holy word. Lord, you've spoken to us through your word. Now help our ears to be open and our hearts to be responsive. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I've learned at this stage of my life that I can't do what I once could do. Those of you who have passed that age of 50 and above, you, you probably know what I'm saying. That, you know, I used to be able to do a lot of things that suddenly I can't quite do what I used to be able to do, or at least for the length of time that I used to be able to do it. Uh, point in case. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, we had some rose bushes outside of our house, and they needed to be trimmed back. It was wintertime, and they needed to be trimmed back. Uh, I had a rose person in my church. She was a master rose gardener, and she said, you always trim your roses in February. I did not know that. Of course, you do in that part of the country. And so I went out, and it was a big bush, and I trimmed, and I trimmed, and I trimmed, and I trimmed. And the next day, I could barely move my left arm. And you know, that's just one of those things that happens a little bit later. When you don't use a particular muscle or a particular part of your body and suddenly you overdo it, you pay for your thrills a little later on. And so I I was, and so I iced it, and I put heat on it, and still my arm just hurt to go like this. And so I decided I would go to a physical therapist. I'm an old athlete and have had a lot of different athletic injuries and that kind of thing, and... PTs have been very, very helpful for me. Went to the PT, and his name was Chris, and he said, what's what's your goal here? I said, here's my goal. Four weeks from right now, we're going to head to Colorado, because we lived in Atlanta at that time, and we're going to visit our kids, and my son-in-law and I are going to go skiing, and I want to be able to plant the pole without my arm hurting. That's my goal. And Chris said, fine, but it's going to take some work. It's going to take some time, and it's going to take some pain. And I said, okay, I can do that. And so for four weeks, two to three times a week, I went to Chris. And, um, you know, it was not always comfortable. For those of you who have ever done physical therapy, you know, know, it it takes pain for gain, that kind of thing. uh, But I stayed with it. And all along the way, Chris and his other associates, as they worked with me, uh, they were very encouraging. They said, I know it hurts. I know it's hard, but keep at it. It'll work. Stay with it. You can do this. Four weeks later, fast forward, two days before we're to go uh, to Colorado, uh, he says, you're done. You're good to go. 
He says, one thing I ask, and that is when you get to the top of the mountain, take a picture and send it back to me. So we flew from Atlanta to Denver. We got our car. We met our kids at Winter Park. And um, a day later, we were at 12,000 feet. And there I am. 12,000 feet, skiing, pain-free. So what I did was I took that picture that my son-in-law took of me, and I emailed it back to Chris. And I did that for two reasons. One reason was to say thank you. Thank you for your hard work and help me get to this point. But the other reason was, was to be an encouragement to him and to his staff. You see, all along the way, they had been encouraging to me when it was hard work. You can do this. Stay with it. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to pay it back, and I wanted to say to them, thank you for your hard work. This is the result of your hard work. I wanted to cheer him on just as he had cheered me on. And friends, that's what I want us to think about this morning. I want to give you three fairly simple steps that you and I can take to cheer other people on. And uh, the first step is this. It is offer a gift of encouragement. If you look carefully at our text in Acts chapter 11, what you're going to find is um, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to the church in Antioch. Now, let me give you a little uh, uh, reading between the lines. Antioch was a very cosmopolitan, very well-to-do city. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. And it was also a very diverse city. Now, diversity is good, but in this case, the diversity led a lot of people astray. And they were worshiping lots of different gods. And so, there's no doubt in my mind that the people in the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to kind of check up on this young church in Antioch who were kind of in the midst of all this melee of all these different thoughts and all this vast diversity that would have been easily, uh, to, easy to lead the people, the new believers in Christ, astray. And so Barnabas went there to check out the church, but he also went there for another purpose. It was to encourage the people in the church in Antioch. He went there to offer a gift of an encouragement. Now we first find Barnabas, this is not the first time when we find Barnabas in chapter 11, we first find him in chapter four of the book of Acts. You see, there were some believers and followers of Jesus at that time who had great need Some scholars believe that the reason the people had great need is because when they became a believer in Christ, their employers said, you're done. You lost your job because you have left the Jewish faith and you've become a believer in this this guy named Jesus and therefore you've you've lost your way. You're done. And so some scholars believe that the reason there are so many people in need is because a lot of people lost their jobs. And because of that need, there were people like Barnabas in the church who saw the need and offered this gift of encouragement. And if you know the story, Barnabas sold some land that he owned and then he gave the money to the people in need in the church. 
Now, Barnabas' real name, as we look at this text, and I'm going to read it to you, just a couple of verses, Acts 4, or 4, 36 through 37. You see, his, his real name wasn't Barnabas at first. If we look at the text, verses 36 and 37, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, Barnabas' original name wasn't Barnabas. It was Joseph. But because of his act of kindness and his act of generosity, because he saw this need and he took some action to help meet that need, the apostles gave him a new name. They changed his name to Barnabas, which can be translated as son of encouragement. You see, his name aptly described who he was as a person. So we first meet him in chapter 4. If you fast forward to chapter 9, you see the story, and you remember the story of the apostle Paul, Saul, the one who persecuted the Christians and had this dramatic uh, conversion experience on the road to Damascus. God spoke to him and came to him in a great light. He became blind, and suddenly his life was totally transformed. He did a total 180 from persecuting Christians to suddenly becoming one. Well, you can imagine how the other Jews felt about that. They, they felt betrayed. Uh, they, they couldn't stand the guy. In fact, they decided they were going to kill him. So he, he runs and he flees to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he wants to connect up with the other believers in Christ. But guess what? They really don't want any part of him. You see, they had heard the stories of Saul and how he had persecuted the people who believed in Christ, and suddenly he says he's one of them, and he wants to be a part of them, and they say, whoa, no way. We don't want any part of you. But then along comes Barnabas. And Barnabas comes alongside of him when others just kind of kept their distance. And we read these words in chapter 9, verse 27. But Barnabas took him, that is, Paul, and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Do you see what happened? When everybody else wanted to keep their their distance at an arm's length or farther from Paul, Barnabas kind of puts his arm around his shoulder and says, no, no, folks. He preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. He's one of us. He offered a gift of encouragement. In our morning's text from Acts chapter 11, we see Barnabas reaches out and offers a gift of encouragement to the people in the church in Antioch. In Acts chapter 11, in our text this morning, verse 23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He encouraged the people in the church in Antioch to remain true to the Lord. Now, if you were to continue to read in the book of Acts... What you're going to find is over and over and over and over again, Barnabas offers gifts of encouragement. 
We see in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas and Paul are on this journey and they're about to take another journey and Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, no, no way. He has not been consistent in his walk, no way. And Barnabas says, no, no, I think he can do this. Let's take him. And there was actually a rift between the apostle Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas stands up for John Mark. Again, he offered a gift of encouragement. He cheered people on. Some of you probably know the name Beth Moore. Beth Moore is a kind of a prolific Bible study writer. And she wrote a book that was entitled uh, To Live as Christ. And listen to this uh, sentence that she wrote. She said, God used Barnabas over and over to give others the courage to be the people he called them to be. Did you catch that? God used Barnabas over and over and over again to encourage people, to have the courage to be the person God called them to be. My first question to you is this. Who has served as a Barnabas in your life? It's not a matter of has someone. I have no doubt for every single one of us, there's been at least one person and probably more than one person's who have served as a Barnabas in your life. The person who helped you to have the courage to be the person God called you to be. Maybe it was someone who simply encouraged you to try something new when you were afraid. Maybe it was someone who cheered you on when things were tough, when you felt like quitting. Uh, Maybe it was a person who reminded you, you can do this. I believe in you. Who, who is that person? Or who are those persons? I've, I've heard it said, I heard this statement a while back, that the world is filled with basement people and balcony people. And, and then it went on to describe, a basement person is the kind of person who pulls you down. The kind of person who drains the life right out of you and the joy of life right out of you. A basement person is one who always seems to have a cloud over their head and always seems to cloud your world as well. But then there are balcony people. The balcony person is the one who's on your side. The balcony person is the one who, whose words breathe life into you. The balcony person is the one um, who will at times call you on something, but it's only because they care about you. The balcony person is the one who helps you to fly higher, the one who helps you to think deeper, the one who helps you to love more richly. So let me ask you again, who has been a balcony person in your life? Who has been your Barnabas? Now, if it's possible, and for some of us, that person or those persons, they are no longer with us. We thank God for them. But if it is possible for you 
to connect up with that balcony person or that Barnabas, I want to challenge you this week. Let them know how much you appreciate the gift of encouragement they gave to you or have given to you over the years. So the second question I want you to ask yourself is not only who is my balcony person, not only who is my Barnabas, but here's, let's flip the coin. Who is God calling you to be a balcony person for? I want to challenge you to write that person, or maybe there's a couple people, I want to challenge you to write their name on your bulletin. I know we don't like to pull out our pens, we don't like to do that kind of thing, but here's the deal. At least in my life, if I don't put it on paper, it disappears. I forget. I want to challenge you to ask yourself, who is it that God may be calling you to be the balcony person for, the Barnabas for? And I want to challenge you to write their name on your bulletin so that you won't forget. So the first step of cheering others on is to offer a gift of encouragement. Second step is this. Set an example of encouragement. A little bit about my history. For 32 years, I served as a pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. One of our connecting points is that we're both, uh, Luke and I are both Presbyterians, and when I heard that he moved to the valley, I said, there aren't many of us in the valley. I better connect up with him. And so I called him, and we had coffee, and here I am. But for 32 years, I served as a pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA, which is the largest Presbyterian denomination in the country. And in 2013, the denomination as a whole decided to go a new direction. And uh, when that happened, I decided from my perspective that they were leaving the traditional long-term history of accepting the authority of God's word because of some of the decisions they made. And when that happened, that was a fisher-cut bait issue for me. And so in 2013, uh, as our elders in our church discussed the direction the the denomination was going, um, we all decided we could no longer live with that decision. And so where we lived in greater Atlanta... Uh, we had a presbytery, which is a collection of different churches in the geographical area. And there was a process by which to leave the denomination graciously. And so in August of 2013, our elders decided that they wanted to start that process to leave the denomination graciously. And we started that process in August. And um, I was on board with that all the way. They made the decision. I didn't force them to make that decision. That was their decision, but we were in agreement, and so we started that process. And that process went for uh, until February, about seven months. And we did everything that was asked of us. We, you know, one of the things I said to our elders is, we're going to take the high road here. It might get kind of uncomfortable. It might, not, it might not be the nicest thing in the world, but we are going to take the high road here. And we did the whole way. And in February of 2013, it was 2012 when we started, in February of 2013, um, the group that was working with our group came back and said, uh, we know that 80% want to leave the church and 20% want 
want to leave the denomination and 20% want to stay, but we believe the 20% is the true church and they're going to get everything. And you 80%, you can do whatever you want to do. And our elders and I had a real tough decision to make. What do you do? If in your conscience you can't stay and live within this structure any longer, what do you do? Long story short, um, in March of 2013, I retired after 32 years from the Presbyterian Church USA. And the next week, we walked from the building and all the assets and everything and started a new church. That was a really scary time when you leave multi-million dollar worth of stuff to not even owning a paperclip. But we did that, and praise God, he was faithful, and we, we, what we learned was, here's what we learned, the church is not a building. What we learned was the church was the people. Now, buildings are important and they're good, don't get me wrong. But what we learned was the church was the people, and there was a, this small group of people that felt called of God uh, to start a new church. And so we did that. And uh, let, me, let me fast forward. It's been five years now since we did that. Well, one mind shy of five years. And at four years, um, I retired. Retired. I mean, retired. Other than I still do this kind of gig now and then. Um, And God was faithful. God was faithful so that in the after one year, in less than two years, we bought a facility. And when I left a year ago, we had over 370 members. And I don't say that to brag. I say that to praise God. But it wasn't always easy. When you walk away from the stuff that we appreciate in life and literally don't have a chair to sit on, it was scary and it was hard. Three months after we left, I went to visit my sister and my brother-in-law and my mother who all live in Charlotte, North Carolina. We went for a long weekend to see my mom primarily and my sister and my brother-in-law and uh, we were there over weekend and so Kathy, my wife and I decided to go to church and we decided to go to a a a church that was a part of the new denomination that we joined. In 2012, there was a new Presbyterian denomination called ECO that was formed. And uh, our church was the 51st church in it. And then there was another church in the Charlotte area. And so we decided to go to church there. Went to church. And after the service, uh, there was a guy greeting as we walked out. And he introduced himself. And I introduced himself. And he looked at me. He says, I've got to introduce you to my wife. I said, really? Why? He said, because we know your story. We have been following your story online, and we have been praying for you and your church through the whole struggle that you've been through. And so his wife's name, Sue, came up and greeted me, and she came and took Kathy and I, and she talked with us, and then she gathered some other people from her Sunday school class and people from uh, their, their, who were their elders, and she said, we'd like to pray for you and pray for your church. 
Friends, let me tell you something. It's not often that people say to a pastor, we'd like to pray for you. Usually goes the other way around. And it was like, okay. We'd love to have you pray for us. You cannot imagine what that meant to Kathy and me. You see, they were setting an example of encouragement to us. And that's exactly what we see in this 11th chapter of the book of Acts. That's what Barnabas is doing to the people in the church in Antioch. He is setting an example for the people in the church of Antioch as far as what it means to be an encourager, what it means to do life together, what it means to spend time together. Because let me look with you at verse 26 of our text. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians for the first time in Antioch. I I want you to see Barnabas and Saul set an example of encouragement. They spent a year with the church in Antioch, encouraging them and teaching them. They were a living example of what it means to support each other. And what I want you to see is that example of Barnabas and Saul rubbed off on the people in the church in Antioch because we see in the 29th verse of our text, the disciples, that is those in Antioch, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and the sisters living in Judea. You see what happened? Barnabas and Saul showed encouragement to the people in the church of Antioch, and then they began to show encouragement to the people within the church who were in need. So here's the takeaway for us this morning. When you and I set an example of encouragement, what I want you to see is encouragement becomes contagious. We know that discouragement is contagious. All you have to do is get that dark cloud person that's hanging around you and it just sort of envelops you. But what I want you to see is encouragement breeds and develops encouragement. It's contagious. Barnabas encouraged the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch encouraged the the folks in Judea. Barnabas encouraged the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul encouraged his protege, Timothy. Some of you probably know the name William Barclay. William Barclay, a long time ago, wrote this commentary on the New Testament. A lot of us have used it over the years. And there's one particular book that he wrote called The Letter to the Hebrews. Listen to these uh, two sentences that he wrote in this particular book. He wrote these words. One of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. The world is filled with discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus then friends, it is our duty as a follower of Christ to set an example of encouragement. So this week, 
I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you to share a word of praise with someone else. I want to encourage you to share a word of thanks. I want to encourage you to share a word of appreciation. I want to encourage you to set an example for encouragement, which leads me to my final point, and that is be a Barnabas. The lack of encouragement or discouragement, I believe, is at epidemic level in our world today. When we show compassion, when we show uh, encouragement to a person in need, we are showing the love of Jesus. Think about it for a moment. Think if you can think of a person in your mind's eye, could be a neighbor, could be a friend, could be a family member. It might be a person who's at work with you. It might be a person who's in school with you. I want you to think of a person that you know needs encouragement. Honestly, you don't have to think too hard. You don't have to look too hard. It may be a young person who seldom smiles or laughs. It may be a young couple who's struggling to meet, uh, to have ends meet. It could be a person who lacks a self-confidence or lacks a self-assurance. It could be a person who, who is seeking and yearning for acceptance. It could be a person who is lonely. It could be a person who needs friends and companionship. It could be a person who is afraid or worried. They're not sure of what direction to go, and they're not sure what the future holds. And here's my challenge for you this week. Every day this week, I want to challenge you every single day to catch someone who's doing something right or something good and praise them. I want to encourage you to catch someone who's having a difficult or a discouraging time and share a word of encouragement. I want to encourage you, be a Barnabas at least one time every day this week. I shared a little bit about our story. I retired the first time um, on Palm Sunday of 2013. And the next Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we launched the new church. But on that Saturday before I retired... I'm sitting in my study on Saturday morning just putting the final touches on my message and it's always hard to have the final message in a particular church. That's just, that's just hard. And I was putting the final touches on and the phone rang and I picked up the phone and the person on the other end of the line said, is this Reverend David Miller? Now nobody called me Reverend Miller but I said, yeah, yeah that, it's me. And he said, um, you don't know me but my name is Reverend David Hamilton. I was talking to one of your church members this week and I've heard how you're struggling right now. And I just called to encourage you for doing the right thing. I know how hard it is because I was the pastor of a particular church and I left that church to plant a new church and I know that it's very exciting but it's also very scary and I know it's very hard. And I'm just calling you to say, go for it. 
And then he went on to say, I'm 84 years old, and I've moved to the community to be near my kids, um, but I just wanted to call to encourage you. That was in 2015, and I remember it three years later. I needed encouragement at that moment. God knew I needed it and sent this Reverend David Hamilton to encourage me. And here's the lesson for each and every one of us. All of us, every single one of us, at one point or another, we need encouragement. And everyone that we lock eyes with needs encouragement. So be a Barnabas. Be a balcony person. Cheer others on. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word and for how it speaks into our life. We thank you for this person named Barnabas. Thank you for the lessons that he teaches us. Now let us take those lessons and apply them to our life. Help us to cheer others on. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.